The speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff, 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. What about us? Memories. You're talking about memories. Have a drink. I don't want anything of his or any part of it. Except his life. I wonder if I know what you mean. I wonder if you want to. Played it for her, you played it for me. I lived a few weeks watching up Someday you'll understand that. Got some news that's gonna take a lot of attention off you and Laura. Stop it, Dix! I can't take any more of this! I didn't kill anybody! I swear! This whole thing's a setup! I should be in uniform. You know the story? What story? Maybe because he was drunk. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Well, I'll give you the message. I bet they're asleep all over America. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cat, podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we will deliver a discussion and analysis of classic and neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your host for the show, Carly Street and Jim. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Carly. Every time I say that, it reminds me of the Disney show iCarly. I don't know why. Let's not. Makes no sense. Let's not. Everybody All used right. to greet me like that, and everybody thought it was dead funny, that, and nobody had done it before. They'd be like, hey, Carly. <laughs> Trying to make me say iCarly. Like, she doesn't uh-huh. say iCarly. She doesn't introduce herself as iCarly. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe there's an episode where she says, I Carly. I Carly. I'm Carly. Meet you, Janice. <laughs> right? <laughs> you never know. <clears throat> so, how you been? What you been up to? Not a lot, really. Well, you've got to find boring. something. The rest of the world here boring. that listens lives vicariously through your adventures. Over in UK land. Buckland. Um, I drove 10 minutes further away than what I'd normally drive one day. Oh, four? Because I ran out of pet. Well, I thought I was being clever and I had enough petrol and I didn't. And I realized that too far past the petrol station. Oh, I when see. I was at work in the morning. So it turned into a bit of an episode of 24 because I had to find a petrol station with no phone, like mobile data. So no internet. So no iCarly. <laughs> and I had like 10 minutes to find one because I needed to open the shop. Wow. Okay. So you yeah. got into a car. Yeah. You did not check the gas gauge. You did I not. I did, but I thought it would be okay. I miscal. I made a miscalculation. I do that quite a lot. Hmm. And you had a phone that you couldn't call anybody with. No, no. I could call people, but I didn't have data, so I couldn't put the internet on. So I could. It could tell me where a petrol station was, and some of where I work. If you go too far, it turns into like a one-way system. So. Hmm. Yeah, I, I did it. All right. Well, but I confused a lot of people at the petrol pump because I, I went to the one where you can only pay with your card. 
And normally, I don't know what it's like out there, but normally you pull up, you try and put petrol in, you get really angry for a little bit, pull in the nozzle, and then the person that works there goes, oh, somebody wants petrol, and they press a button. <laughs> then you get your petrol and you go and pay. But no, I pressed, I had the nozzle being really angry for about five minutes, and then it occurred to me that um, there was a card machine in front of me. Oh, they're a little more trusting yeah. out there then because out here they don't have that anymore. That's like a 50s thing, I think. Um, <laughs> for a long time we now, are in the you 50s have to, still most yeah, of the time. You got to prepay for your gas because I think too many people have like, you know, filled up and taken off. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, it sweeps your card. So if you haven't got enough money in your card, I think it's like a hundred pounds. So you uh -huh. have to have a hundred pounds in your bank for that to work. Ah. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. If you ever go to the, yeah, if you ever go to the UK and you're driving, make sure you got at least a hundred pounds in your bank. I'm still not sure what yeah. pounds are, but yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> Carly's driving adventures. Yeah. Part one. Maybe we'll hear more. See? Or wait, there, I think there are many part parts. Two. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you about the time and another another time because we don't want too much excitement. I can tell you about the time when I um, took the wrong turn in and ended up on the motorway and couldn't oh. get off. Yeah, motorway is like freeway, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I thought I was taking an exit, and I was just looping back round to go right back on it. <laughs> Did That's that for hilarious. a bit again. I needed petrol in that circumstance as well. <laughs> you know, I, that reminds me of a, a time when I was a kid. Um, we were visiting family in Texas. And I don't know how many people listen to this are familiar with Texas, but the city of Dallas has this huge, intricate freeway system. And they have something called the loop. And the oh. loop literally goes in a circle. Like it's a big, huge loop with a bunch of exits that go off. And my father. Oh, so it's um, like a giant roundabout. Yeah. Yeah. It, wow. it reminds me of um, uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation where you can't get out of the loop. I don't know if you recall that movie, but it was like that. But it takes you about an hour or so to yeah. go around the loop. <laughs> and my father uh, was driving. And after like a couple hours, we kept noticing, we kept seeing the same like tree knocked over or something like that. And we're like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't, couldn't find the exit. And we drove around that thing for like three hours or so trying to uh, find the correct exit. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> oh my God. That, that would be like my hell loop. If I yeah. die and go to hell, which is quite likely. I feel like that would just be me. <laughs> Your afterlife's like, going to be driving on, the on a freeway. Loop. Yeah, just on a freeway forever, just in a circle, just seeing, just seeing the same tree <laughs> with no petrol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running out of gas yet. I can't stop driving in circles. <laughs> this is how. <laughs> I've been working ten minutes and I can't find the exit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, out in the UK, what like you guys, you have these, I mean, I don't know, like uh, being American, I picture the UK being like these little cobblestone roads everywhere and little cottages. It's not like Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, that's even um, 
um um what do you call it uh summer um uh, uh, jesus christ get the, <laughs> the mystery Can't show wait to hear. <laughs> midsummer murders <laughs> midsummer murders <laughs> well summertime after no that's not it Some, <laughs> midsummer murders like that it's the same thing yeah. that's what i have pictured all the entire entirety of uk to be like these so, little, some places <laughs> Some places are like that, though. If Mean Street go out, like if we go out for for a day or something, they'll go driving or something. There are all these random places that you just go, oh, this looks nice. Let's stop here. And then as soon as you've walked, it's when you walk into the pub, right? That's how you know. For is it all, like, is it like a hot fuzz where like every town's like this weird cult? <laughs> yep. So if you walk into the pub, right, and everybody goes quiet or they're overly nice, you're in fucking trouble. <laughs> Okay. The slaughtered lamb. To a pub, right? And people don't bat an eyelid at you, being a bit weird. And somebody like, like slings change at you, or do you know what I mean? What pushes you out of the way? You're fine. Uh You are fine. If everybody's dead nice, dead polite, and they move chairs for you, fucking get out, (laughs) because you're toast. Yeah, I remember uh, when. werewolf in london or what's yeah american werewolf in london came out <laughs> in the slaughtered lamb pub it was uh <laughs> yeah, it, it made me scared of you know the uk <laughs> mm. i don't know <clears throat> yeah be oh, afraid of people walking around with no shadows right <laughs> well that's vampires right i mean or dead people or dead people <laughs> oh um, oh, I went and saw um, a movie called Watcher last night with Shawnee. Oh, uh, what's it takes called? place in Rome. Uh, it's yeah, I thought it was pretty pretty well done. Um, takes place in Romania. Um, but um, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. The ending was a little, um, I wouldn't say of a letdown, but it's just sort of like um, I don't know the way they play the ending, it's just kind of like, yeah, oh, that probably wouldn't happen. But, um, it was a pretty solid movie. Like it was, a, it was a nice, uh, solid thriller that you don't get to see very often, uh, these days in the theater. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, it's made by shutter cool. as well. So that's kind of cool. Um, wouldn't necessarily cool. call it a horror film or anything, but it's a, so anyway, get a chance to check it out. It's pretty cool. <clears throat> um, it was either that or going to see Top Gun, which I wasn't really excited about, but, what if do you not uh, want anyway, to see Top yeah. Gun um, I mean I was never a huge Top Gun fan I, I was okay I know the rest of the world loves it but I yeah never... I, I could live without it I yeah, could take I it just... or leave it I'm not yeah when I watch Top Gun it's because I like Anthony Edwards and Meg Ryan and that's why I watch it but then they kill him and yeah and I don't really care much about Cruz or Kilmer um, and that whole shenanigans or whatever but you know take me to bed or lose me forever you know that's top gun for me um so i wasn't terribly excited about the sequel um because you know obviously goose is dead and meg ryan's not in it and you know who cares <clears throat> to me anyway but uh so speaking of pubs though even though that was like 10 minutes ago <laughs> uh let's uh get into the drink for tonight shall we and i actually i think this is a first maybe could be wrong 
I don't even know my own show. Um, I've got three different drinks for tonight. Oh, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> while I was researching drinks, I didn't want to do something just simple um, as the main, you know, I thought it was like whiskey or something in the show. Because um, I think he says whiskey. I can't remember. But um, I didn't want to just do it because we've done something simple like that for just whiskey and the rocks or whatever. But so um, we have that. But also uh, we have um, a total of three drinks tonight. So I'll just go through these. The first one. And I couldn't find any explanation as to why they call it this or what it has to do with the movie at all. But it is called the Roger Rabbit Cocktail. And I Ooh. guess that does give away tonight's movie, which I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably already know because we name our episodes the title of the movie. So it's no secret. Right. So uh, the first drink is the Roger Rabbit, not the dance. If anybody remembers that. <laughs> but the drink roger rabbit cocktail might dance after the cocktail depending what's in it oh yeah well um this one i don't know if you'll be into this you might be um this drink is a rum drink um you make it with three quarters of an ounce of coconut rum uh one ounce of amaretto and four to six ounces of pineapple juice so it's a rather sweet drink it seems like um, yeah, but I mean, rum's, you know, rum's pretty good. Um, in a, I actually just bought a, a bottle of spice from uh, day before yesterday. So I've been drinking that a lot. Um, so in a shaker, you put a quarter cup crushed or shaved ice. I've never heard of shaved ice going into it, but, you know, whatever. Uh, crushed ice. Um, add one ounce of Amarato, three quarters of Malibu or Ranacoco. Ranacoco. <laughs> Yes, oh, it was mine. R O N C O C C O. Ronakako. <laughs> and follow up with pineapple juice. <laughs> Shake vigorously for 20 to 30 seconds until thick foam is made. Pour into Ooh, a. Ooh, what cold happens if you shake for 40 seconds? <sighs> you know, it might be even thicker foam and hard to drink. Wow, <laughs> calm down, people. <laughs> Pour it into a cold Collins glass. Pour the foam into the drink. Top with a sort of assortment of uh, little fruits on swords, <laughs> and skip the umbrella. <laughs> so there's there's our first one, the Roger Rabbit cocktail. <clears throat> All right, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Now we'll go with the simple one. This is uh, Eddie Valentine's choice of drink throughout the film, um, which is Scots. Uh, sorry, Scots. <laughs> Great Scots, because no, yeah. Our villain in this movie was also Back to the Future. Um, uh, scotch on the rocks, and I mean ice. For those of you that uh, recall that awesome scene in our film where, you know, he orders a scotch on the rocks and uh, does not uh, receive ice in his drink. <laughs> Ooh, or what you could do is you could have them, them, um, them rocks that you put in the freezer. Mm-hmm, yeah. That you put in your whiskey so it is scotch on the rocks yeah yeah and actually this is that's how they they make this drink is they use those little i don't know what they are they're, they do look like rocks so. i can't remember what they what they're called but i've bought some for street they kind of look like they don't water you drink down yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um so that's eddie valentine's choice and then our more sinister selection for tonight is called the dip 
Uh, now, this obviously comes after the whole turpentine-based, you know, concoction that Judge Doom uses to, uh, you know, dole out final punishments to unruly tunes. All right. So hopefully this doesn't kill anybody when they drink it. Uh, I think you only have, you know, to be worried if you're a tune. Uh, one ounce of Amsterdam Stratosphere Gin. So this might be something Carly loves. Um, although, second ingredient she's going to hate. One ounce of Midori melon liqueur. Mmm. But you don't like melon liqueur, right? Mmm. No. This sounds weird. <laughs> no. And one ounce of St. Germain elderflower liqueur, which I've never had. Oh, oh is that bad? Really? <laughs> I've never had it. It sounded good when I read the description. It's supposed to be on the sweeter side of liqueur. Um, so, and this is just served on the rock. So one ounce of Amsterdam's uh, gin, uh, one ounce of Midori liqueur, and one ounce of uh, elderflower uh, on the rock. Oh, my God. Called the dip. So I'm it's excited. A coma. Huh? Sounds like a coma. A coma? <laughs> yeah, I don't sound strength that shit. Sounds like a coma. <laughs> well, <you laughs> or know. at least a bloody headache. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that might be uh, you know why they made it. <laughs> That's one that I'm gonna try though. I'm gonna give that one a shot. I want a picture. I want to show. I want a picture. A picture that Shoney takes of your face, so that you can't edit it and fanny about with it. I want her to watch you drink that. <laughs> Probably be about on the same level of uh, Roger Rabbit taking a shot, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, folks. That's our drinks for tonight. You got three choices there. All right. And, uh, you know, you got the easy choice with just your uh, simple scotch on the rocks or you've got the dip or the Roger Rabbit. So we hope you guys enjoy while you take a listen to the trailer for tonight's film. Only there's no business like it. Cut, 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 cut! No business I know. I'm 25 grand over budget on the latest baby Herman cartoon. You saw the rabbit blowing his lines. He can't keep his mind in his work. You know why? We got Seen cooing over calamari with not so new sugar daddy was wife of maroon cartoon star Roger. What's this got to do with me? You're the private detective. You figure it out. His wife's poison. I want you to follow her. Give me a couple of nice, juicy pictures I can wise the rabbit up with. You're not the first man whose wife played patty cake on him. I hope you're proud of yourself. So I took a couple of dirty pictures. So kill me. I already got a stiff on my hands. Marvin Acme. Guy that owns Toontown. The rabbit cacked him last night. What are you talking about? The rabbit said one way or another he and his wife are going to be happy. The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diaper. He's not a murderer. I could never hurt anybody. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be, Mr. Valiant? We'll find him. Since I've had Toontown under my jurisdiction, my goal has been to make Toon respect the law. Remember how I always thought there wasn't a way to kill a Toon? Well, Doom found a way. He caught. 
calls him the dip. This is how we handle things down in Toontown. I'll catch the robin, then I'll try him, convict him, and execute him. You still don't trust me? I don't trust anybody or anything. Behind you! You want to tell me what she was doing with her arms around you? I was looking for a good place to stick a knife. Just talking to you could give me a rap rating and a betting. We don't command justice. Think that's funny? This ain't no cartoon, you know. All right, that was the trailer for the 1988 film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is a American live action animated comedy mystery film, which I also add in noir because I think that this film is heavily noir influenced. Um, and it is directed by the infamous Robert Zemeckis. It's produced by uh, Spielberg's uh you know, favorite producer, uh, Frank Marshall, um, and also Robert Watts. It's also loosely adapted. And I just learned this. I did not know, um, about this, but it's loosely adapted by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman from Gary K. Wolf's 1981 novel, who censored Roger Rabbit. Um, and the film stars, uh, the amazing actor, Bob Hoskins and equally amazing Christopher Lloyd. Um, the talented Charles Fleischer, uh, Stubby K, and Joanna Cassidy, um, with a surprise uncredited um, Jessica Rabbit, who is um, played by, oh my goodness, uh, I don't know why my, I just went, oh, Kathleen Turner. <laughs> my mind just went totally blank. <laughs> I need to play Jessica Rabbit. Like Cat- <laughs> You've just had that coma drink, haven't you? And it's not your socks on. <laughs> <laughs> the dip is eating at my brain. Kathleen Turner, <laughs> um, who I believe was fresh off of um, um, Romancing the Stone um, at this time. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's got a pretty stacked cast and a, you know, amazing director and producing team as well. Um, but before I like we get in- a lot. Oh, so do I. I think he's just yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah. Just just a great, great actor. Um, but uh, before we get into that, we need to uh, have Carly tell us a little bit about this movie. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. Hoskins takes an LSD trip and we get to join in the hallucination. <laughs> Did you like that it? damn drug addict. <laughs> Did you like it? Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I'd like to think that if, if I was in that little world, like a singing Frank Sinatra sword is just I, I was want that come up. so bad. So bad. I want one. Can somebody make me one? Even if it's just his face glued on an actual blade and then somebody singing and a tape recorder. I don't care. I want one. <laughs> I just knew that that was going to come up. It even looked like him. Right? It's like somebody somebody went in my brain when it was like a baby and went, 
Oh, yeah. Well, I thought. <laughs> well. I can't tell if you're laughing at me or just disgustedly shaking your head in silence. <laughs> it's funny because I'm doing both. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head, poor Carly. <laughs> I know, because I haven't got one yet. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a very trippy movie. There, there were there, it wasn't the first live action mixed animated film. Um, I don't recall all the different variations, but I think probably the most infamous one before this might have been Song of the South, which I mean has been banned for you know a long time, or at least not necessarily banned, but just kept in Disney's vault and. You know, oh, no longer why? released. Oh, um, there's um, there's some questionable racial. Um, oh, I don't know what you would call it, honestly. Um, questionable racism in there, uh, I guess, to certain people would be not be so questionable. Um, I, it's uh, but again, I think I don't think the film itself is a product of its time, but I think the the story that they're telling, you know, is a oh, language of, or something like that is maybe a reflection of the time. Well, I have no I idea what this film is. I've never heard. Of oh, it. you should look it up. It's, um, it's not, it's not, I mean, you know, if you say that it's like a good movie or something like that, I'm sure people hate you, but it's not like it's a bad film or anything. It's just, there's, there's like these, it's, it's like the same boat as like people, uh, you know, discussing like Tom Sawyer or something like that. And, you know, or even gone with the wind with, you know, racism, things like that, which I completely understand. And I don't, you know, discount at all, you know, but, but again, these are, you know, the world changes in a, in a, you know, in a, in a hopefully good and positive way. So these older mm. films that were maybe not necessarily, um, as sensitive yeah. or peace politically correct or any of that kind of stuff or just more humane honestly um i think they're more of a learning experience than anything um but yeah so there's some controversy about song of the south um, but i think that was probably one of the more famous like live action animated films um you know and then obviously space jam which came far after roger rabbit and Things like mm -hmm. that, but <clears throat> I personally, I think to a much, much lesser effect. Yeah, um, I was very yeah. surprised with that. Yeah. And then um, there's also another, uh, I wouldn't call it controversial, but um, there's a more uh, adult themed uh, Cool World, which stars a younger Brad Pitt, um, which I personally thought was a pretty cool movie, but I, I think there's a lot of hate for it. Um, but um, at the time, that Roger Rabbit was being developed. Um, animation was on a decline as a whole. Uh, I guess there weren't a whole lot of uh, animated films coming out the theater that were um, extremely successful or like at least where Disney wanted it to be. So they were starting to kind of wind down their animation department just let to, due to lack of popularity, I guess, at the time. Um, oh, I guess it was expensive, isn't it? When you think about it, every single little page of movement. Yeah, it's 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 a very um, 
time-consuming, expensive sort of, mm-hmm. yeah, an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah, but you know, those those artists are extremely talented and the old style animation, which Roger Rabbit was done in with uh, some new processes as well, um, you can really tell the quality difference compared to today's you know animation which they have drastically less frames um in between so yeah. it's more they have more of a stutter effect or like freeze frame effect yeah which, they they don't actually move do they they kind of jolt yeah they'll animate like now. facial expressions yeah. or something yeah um or it'll be like moving a still image across the screen you know what i mean it's it's not it's nowhere yeah. near the same, but obviously you can turn product out much faster and it's cheaper, you know, less intensive work. And obviously it doesn't seem like the audience of today cares about quality. So, I mean, that makes sense, right? Um, so Disney really wanted this film to reinvigorate the animation scene. Um, and it did. Um, it did precisely what they wanted it to do. Um, however, coming into the nineties, like this film was a 1988 film. It, it, it started development in 1981. Um, I think the book who censored Roger rabbit, um, came out in 1980 and they optioned it the next year because for that very reason, they really thought that that it would make a huge blockbuster film. Um, granted, they changed almost everything from the book. Um, wow. Yeah. Like almost, almost everything. Like basically they kept all the key characters. Um, and there is the, I, I, I mean, there's still a framing of Roger Rabbit in the book, even though it's called who censored Roger Rabbit. Um, but there were some cool, interesting things in the book um, that I've read about, I haven't read the actual book yet, but I'm, you know, it's on my list, um, where the book is about, um, comic strip characters, uh, like old newspaper comic strip characters, like serials. So, uh, like, you know, things like Dilbert and Hagger the Horrible and things like that. Um, and Roger Rabbit was a comic, comic strip character. And these comic strip characters were, you know, just like in the movie, where they were alive and, you know, walk around that kind of thing and how they made the comic strips by taking still pictures of the actors doing whatever they're doing. Um, but there's, there's a ton of differences. I don't know if we should really get into it, but, um, the, the book revolved around a genie granting wishes and, uh, like all kinds of crazy stuff, but there's, there's some key elements that still, uh, resonated over into the film. Um, but it's it's drastically different, and I would say that the film is probably closer to um, Chinatown than it is to the original novel. Um, other than the core characters, which are all the same, you still have Baby Herman, you've still got Roger Rabbit and Jessica, and um, you know that sort of thing. There there are um, newly created characters in the film, such as Judge Doom um, was not in the book. Um, you have the cab, which is not in the book and, you know, some other characters, obviously a a lot of the Disney characters and and Warner brothers and all that kind of stuff. However, the concept is all kind of there and just the plotting is way different, much, much different story. Um, 
<clears throat> but uh, you know, for Disney jumping on it like right away, you know, and having a clear idea of what they wanted to do, this movie went into a very long development hell, uh, starting from you know 1981 and not culminating until 1988, um, which is in part due to changing of the guard at Disney. Um, they were, I don't know if you came across this, but they originally developed this project, um, you know, early on, like after they acquired the, the book rights. Um, and they originally had Roger Rabbit was cast as, um, Paul Rubens, which if you don't know who that is, he is the man behind Pee Wee Hermit. Um, and then they had Peter Renaday as Eddie Valiant, who eventually down the road ended up being, um, you know, well known for playing Master Splinter in the Ninja Turtles. Um, and then, uh, Rusi Taylor, uh, was voicing Jessica Rabbit. And that was kind of cool because she was also the original voice of Minnie Mouse. And while, yeah, and, and while I was researching this, I thought it was hilarious because I found out she was also literally married to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> she married Wayne Alwyn, who was, um, who voiced Mickey Mouse. He was the third actor to voice Mickey Mouse. Um, so in the real world, Minnie Mouse and Mickey were actually married. <laughs> they were indeed. All right. Wow. Um, but although that was the original cast that they were going with, um, and at that time they actually had offered, um, Terry Gilliam of, uh, Brazil fame and, uh, you know, many other films and was part of, um, um, which McCall with the, uh, Jesus can't think of the name, the, the comedy troupe, you know, with, um, Cleese, uh, come on, British person. You know this, don't you? <laughs> the police British person. Police? No. Uh, comedy troupe. British. Uh, Jesus Christ. I can't think of the name of them right now. Um, you uh, are not giving me a lot to go on here. Oh, come on. John Cleese. Just because you, know you say Brit. Oh, hold on. Monty Python. Monty Python. Yes. Thank you. Jesus. I can't. Yeah. I, I can't host the show by myself, Carly. <laughs> Just because you, every, I don't know everybody that's British, I can't recall every British but, fact. But Jason. I thought you knew We've the Queen. Been through this. Don't I don't know, know her. Yeah. Do you know what? One day I'm just going to be like, it was all a ruse. I'm having here's a selfie with me and Liz. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Terry, Terry Gilliam was um, approached to to direct it, which would have been, I mean, what a crazy different film it might have been, but. Uh, he, he declined and he didn't want to do it. And later on, he admitted to saying like, he declined it out of pure laziness. He just thought that it was going to be too much of a a technical challenge to direct. And he said that he completely regrets the decision. Obviously. I mean, anybody's going to regret a decision about a film that ends up being, you know, a huge blockbuster hit kind of thing. But, you know, at the same time, um, you know, that's, I mean, geez, he was, he, he seemed like he was a very technically inclined director. I mean, if you look at Brazil or, you know, any of the other films that he made, um, 
you know, back then it was, uh, it's kind of astonishing. He turned it down. Um, especially, I believe he was, um, he has some connection to the animation world as well, but, um, yeah, what a crazy cat. I mean, it would have been interesting to, to hear Paul Rubens, um, voicing Roger Rabbit as well. Um, and from what I understand, there were actually, um, some test shoots that they did, uh, with that cast. Um, from what I understand, they did like two different, two different test shoots with them, but ultimately, uh, when things changed at Disney at some point around 84 or 85 or so, um, it, every, all of that was just kind of wiped clean. And, um, the new head of, uh, Disney came in and was kind of obsessed with, uh, Steven Spielberg and I guess was really trying to court him more into Disney. Um, and at the same time, Spielberg was, um, you know, really getting rolling with Amblin entertainment or whatnot. So they brought them in, um, to produce the project. And I'm not 100% sure if Spielberg was originally supposed to direct or not, or if it was just going to be a producing gig. Um, but I'm guessing he might have actually been attached to to direct at some point um, because there oh, was wow. some talk about there about him originally wanting Harrison Ford to play Eddie Valiant. Um, but for whatever reason, Harrison Ford um, wanted too much money for the role. Schmuck. Oh, yeah. Um, I can really see Harrison Ford talking to a cartoon that's not there. <laughs> <laughs> no, he couldn't he can't be bothered even talk with that. To a dog that's not there. Do you know what I mean? Come on. Mm-hmm. No, he probably He's turned okay it down because they didn't. Yeah, he he probably turned it down because they wouldn't let him wear his earring. You know. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's there's a Stop whole me laugh. <laughs> there's a whole slew of actors that were at one time or other either considered or attached to play Eddie Valiant in this film. So I'm just going to go down a quick list real quick. Okay. Um, just to kind of get it a while out of the way. Cause it's kind of impressive, honestly. Um, so Harrison Ford was really the second pick because Paul Rubens was originally attached. Then you had Chevy chase, um, who oh. obviously was big at the time. Um, and he just wasn't oh, interested. He just wasn't interested. Just didn't, didn't want to do it. Um, and that would have been a completely different movie, right? Chevy Chase is yeah. it would have been like, that's crazy, right? And then Bill Murray uh, was. Oh, I could see that. I could next see that. in line, I could totally see that. Yeah, it would be. It would be much again. It would be a different film, but it probably would have been closer uh, to the Bob Hoskins uh, uh, version. Um, however, uh, Bill Murray didn't get it because it's. I don't know how true it is, but there is this. Hollywood sort of lore about Bill Murray and how he accepts um, uh, movie roles where supposedly there's this 800 number that you have to call and leave a message. <laughs> and if he's interested, oh he'll get God. back to you. Right. Oh so, my God. Should we call it for a laugh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get the number. <laughs> but apparently that's a thing, you know, and, and, and he lost out on this role because of timing, either he didn't get to the voicemail message or whatever before they wanted to green light it and put it in the process or moved on to somebody else because it took too long to hear back from. 
That's um, so cool. Yeah, I might start doing that with my text messages. I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to some sort of mailbox somewhere and leave me a note. <laughs> right. If you want to text me, call this number. And if I want to text you back, you might receive one. <laughs> yeah, but I'm probably going to charge you as well. So make sure you get your money's worth and make it a long text. <laughs> That's what I'm going to have to do to get you on the line to uh, to re- record more podcasts, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's my 0800,000 million number, Jason. Right. Um, yeah. You just basically record your portion of the episode and I'll tell you if it's a go. S- yeah. Send it in and then you... <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Next in line, Eddie Murphy, <laughs> who at the time oh, was big no. with SNL, uh, which is an no, odd choice think- to me. <laughs> See, I think Eddie Murphy, I've never re- I've always been more of a David Spade fan, as you know, because I mm. think that he's he's quite reserved with his comedy, which is what I like. So uh-huh. he has Chris Farley that was all over the place with the physical comedy, and right. he's just there backing him up with just a very reserved sarcasm. And I always thought that Eddie Murphy was just far too manical. Like he's he had he had like the sarcasm, but he also had the physical comedy, but both of them were dialed up to like two million. Yeah, you know, I I never really got him with the physical comedy. Honestly, I always thought he was just more sarcasm and like played off of his rudeness as like being funny. Um, which I was like, I Eddie Murphy's alright. Like, I think I like some of his films, but I was never like a huge fan of him. Um, like but I'd say, I say, people will probably help, hate me, but I think Kevin Hart has a good balance of sarcasm and kind of. Wild, shouty, physical comedy. Not, yeah, no, not I, the I agree with is that. too much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think Eddie Murphy's funnier than him. Um, like Kevin Hart, he's funny. Like when he when he's in the zone, but sometimes, like I feel like I feel like there's certain actors or comedians that are a little. Um, oh, how would you say it? They're they're a little jaded by their experiences mm. and, and like have a sort of, um, higher, um, they, they think higher of themselves than maybe the rest of the general public. And I, and that's fine. Like I have no problem with that. Like if you're going to be an actor, you have to be a bit conceited, but he just doesn't have a problem. Like kind of letting that out there and being like, Hey, I deserve this. And like, okay, that's fine. But you know, entertain us i really don't care about what you think of yourself kind of thing so i don't know kevin hart can kind of annoy me at certain things and it's really only a stand-up comedy like he's totally fine he's he's great in films but um him talking about other things you know even like he's got this show I, i can't think of the name of it right now but where he sits down and drinks wine with people and it's all people can you get me a gig on that i can do that (laughs) it's supposedly people that he doesn't know well but even though there's certain people on the show that he's good friends with so i I can't really figure out the dynamic i was thinking well maybe he's just having friends on because he couldn't get guests or something i don't know but the show is pretty good but you can just tell he's i don't know like he's he's not a great host um but it's worth watching i can't think of the title of it right now but uh, if you find it, it's, I think it's on Netflix or Hulu or one of those streaming channels. I can't remember. Anyway, moving on. Um, after Eddie Murphy, which I think was like the fourth or fifth choice, then you have Robin Williams or Robert Redford, oh. Robert Redford what? of all people. 
Jack Nicholson, which could have been fun. Yeah. Uh, another wild idea, Sylvester Stallone. Ed Harris. <laughs> oh, not Ed Harris. Oh, actually, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I like Ed Harris. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's just... I don't see that one. Charles Grodin is the next one. And I could see that one. Um, I could totally see Charles mm. Grodin playing that. Um, and then mm. Don Lane, who's less known. So after all of these people, ultimately Bob Hoskins was chosen, not only because he's a great actor, but they saw that he has this sort of element of hope in him, um, which they really wanted for the Valiant character, even though um, this guy is like, down and out uh, due to circumstances they they could see within him that there is this sort of like air of hope um and lastly uh the superficial reason is because he looked like he belonged in that era which i'd agree i thought he was really yeah. really perfect for the look as well um yeah, yeah. and um <laughs> i found something kind of funny um so roger rabbit was eventually um, voice acted by Charles Fleischer, who's a stand-up comedian and actor. Um, but he insisted on being on set and dressed in a Roger Rabbit costume. And he stood in behind the camera for most of Bob Hoskins <sighs> scenes. <laughs> to, so to maybe help him. When, when Bob Hoskins was saying that he was hallucinating, maybe he wasn't actually, he was seeing a giant <laughs> rabbit like Donnie Darko. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> maybe totally they told him. Maybe that's a clever director's trick, and they just went, "Yeah, no, no, everybody pretend the rabbit's not here. It'd be more realistic." <laughs> <laughs> right. Could be. But uh, Fleischer said that he did that because it helped him get into the character of Roger. And I was assuming being like a rabbit. A, yeah, I was assuming it would <laughs> be to help to help Hoskins, like you know, uh, out. <laughs> but. I guess that was for him to help him get into character later on, which was probably months later to voice the, the character. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. I really took this voice acting role as an owl seriously. I did a bit of method acting and went and sat on a branch every night for six months trying to twist my head. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> now there's also a whole list of actors that were up for the role of judge doom. Oh, and the first original, uh, actor that was up for it, which I mean, I hear this and I love the idea as much of a fan of Christopher Lloyd as I am. And as awesome as I think he was in this movie. Like, I really think he did a fantastic job as this character. Um, Michael J. Fox. No. <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> I don't know. Michael J. Fox isn't very sinister, though. But... Yeah, I know. I just want to see him with, like, fake weird eyes. that cartoon eyes. <laughs> I think the closest we'll get with that is uh, Michael J. Fox and Frighteners. <laughs> yes. That's where my head went straight away. Yeah. Uh, which he was fantastic in that movie. That's like, that was, I personally, I think that's like his greatest like acting role, but you know, next to back the future. But originally 
this new rebooted version or revamped version after 85, um, Amblin was trying to get Tim Curry on board oh, wow. to play Judge Doom. Now, Tim Curry is yeah. an amazing actor, right? Um, and he originally auditioned for it. So he was obviously interested. But after the audition, all the producers found him too terrifying for the film, which I could totally see, right? I mean, if you think about him as it, or I mean, even in Clue, like he's kind of like, even though he's fun and everything, he's not scary in Clue, but like, I would be worried he would kill me. (laughs) Yeah, sinister. Um, so I, I've got, I feel like that's such an amazing casting choice that just never crossed my mind. Um, but again, it's like, it's hard to grapple with that because I really think Christopher Lloyd was amazing in this film and just a great sort of, you know, Christopher Lloyd's a great physical actor as well. Um, and he had, and yeah, he's just, he's, he's animated and just, he can play serious. I mean, if you've ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or like any, any of this other serious roles, like he really was able to balance the intricacies of that character in this type of project. Um, but yeah. man, would it be amazing to see Tim Curry? I wish that audition was out there somewhere. That would, that would be fun to watch. Somebody, if anybody's listening and they have a, a handle on where to, to see that, let us know. Um, cause that would be you great. Could start a hashtag movement. Yeah. Tim Corey Cook. <laughs> R- release the Curry. Release the Curry, the curry audition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So it gets, it gets crazy again with, uh, choices for this character. Um, and it, there's also a connection back to Terry Gilliam, but not, you know, much of one. So after Curry was deemed too terrifying, they also went of all people, Christopher Lee, <laughs> who he turned it down john cleese uh had interest in the role but was deemed not scary enough (laughs) oh then there was peter o'toole f murray abraham roddy mcdowell (laughs) eddie dezine would have been scary yeah that'd been interesting right and then of all people sting (laughs) sting Ooh, i like sting yeah, I'm not up for that one. <laughs> um, so eventually, um, Amblin Entertainment got Zemeckis on board because I, th- I believe, um, because of Romancing the Stone, if that's correct, um, did well. And I, he directed, I believe, uh, you know, Clouds. I gotta, um, look this up because I'm pretty sure. Loads. He's a Back to the Future, well. didn't they? Yeah, no, 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 he didn't. He did, but um, I think it was because Back to the Future was a bit later. Um, yeah, because uh, of Romancing the Stone. Um, that was 84. So that was right before they started redeveloping this. Um, ah. And I think Back to the Future was 85, so that would have been after, right? So, um, mm. so yeah, he, he initially got the gig because of Romancing the Stone, which did really well, which is a cool adventure film. But then... You know, in between this movie getting greenlit, um, Back to the Future, you know, he directed Back to the Future and that was a massive hit. So obviously that, you know, that was going to happen. And because of that success is where Christopher Lloyd came into the picture um, because he worked with them um, on Back to the Future. Um, 
so that was sort of like, you know, it, uh, it, it was just, you know, a no brainer sort of like casting, um, which I think is, is great. You know, if they couldn't uh, wrap their heads around Tim Curry, I mean, I think Christopher Lloyd was probably the best second option. Um, and then Christopher Lloyd was sad um, because he was in um, uh, Star Trek. Uh, he compared the part of Judge Doom to uh, the his role in Star Trek, which is Klingon Commander Krug, um, Krug, Krug, whatever his name is, um, and Search for Spock, because um, he considered them both overtly evil characters, which uh, Lloyd was quoted as saying is really fun to play. And um, with Judge Doom, he, funny enough, I think um, he avoided blinking his eyes while on camera to perfectly portray the character, which is kind of funny because obviously um, there's the whole setup of uh, Valiant talking about his red beady eyes or whatever it was, you know, and then you have the whole scene with uh, Judge Doom walking around the warehouse and the fake eyeballs all over the ground and slipping and falling on them and covering his eye. And then later on, obviously he's got these crazy, crazy eyeballs. Right. Um, yeah. And then there was another little uh, Easter egg in there uh, connecting the, you know, that sort of uh, judge doom killing Valiant's brother before it's spoken where on the big machine, uh, I don't know what you call it, like the tank thing that's shooting the dip out um, on the windshields. It has like these big, huge red evil eyes. Um, so if you don't, if you catch that, then you'll probably make the connection that this is also the guy that killed his brother, um, which probably oh. isn't too hard to, to come up with anyways. Um, so I think that was kind of cool that, um, you know, that connection led to Christopher Lloyd playing Judge Doom because I thought it was pretty great in it. Um, and, you know, when I was watching this, I don't know if you made the connection because you didn't really care for Chinatown, but um, I never really researched this movie previously. Uh, I've been a fan of this movie since it came out. Um, it's not the first movie, obviously, I've seen in the theater because it came out in 88 and I'm you know an old dude now. But um, I was about uh, nine years old, 10 years old when this came out, nine years old. And uh, it's one of those movies where I just got kind of dropped off at the theater, um, you know, where the parent wanted to go, you know, do whatever. Right. And not knowing, you know, what the movie was that happened to me a lot. Like there's some movies I should have never saw <laughs> at my age, but they were much more <laughs> relaxed and letting kids into the theater. Right. But we're um, taking Jason to the babysitter. <laughs> right? Who's that? That's, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Like I saw some cool world was another one. <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, um, uh, I was just, I love this film in the theater. I thought it was so great, but, um, I never like really researched the film or anything. And when I was watching it, uh, with Shawnee, I, I was like, wow, you know, this, this really reminds me of Chinatown. And, um, while I was researching for the podcast, um, it, there was, while they were writing the script, they made a conscious effort to replot the movie and relate it to in the same sort of ways as Chinatown um, was, where there was like this sort of um, corruption within Los Angeles. Um, and their subplots that they used um, was actually real. So this whole idea of the red car uh, train system being bought out 
and this uh, suburban expansion of um, uh, the freeway uh, going through town. Um, all of that is real. Like that, all that stuff really happened. So they wow. incorporate that into the plot, which I thought was pretty cool and, and really reminded me of the whole water, um, you know, plot, subplot of Chinatown, um, which is, you know, very much could be what Chinatown was based off of too. Um, but I think there was also a lot of water rights issues at that time that Chinatown was based off of as well. Uh, anyway. So I thought that was pretty interesting because I'm a huge fan of Chinatown and I'm obviously a huge fan of this movie as well. But um, there were um, actually multiple scripts before, because like I said, in the book, um, Judge Dredd or Judge Doom, (laughs) Judge Dredd, (laughs) Judge Doom wasn't in the original book. So while they were in through the writing process, um, they were trying to pick a villain. Um, which as we know, there's a lot of, uh, sort of MacGuffins and plot twists in this, in this movie, uh, trying to set up different, you know, angles of, you know, what's going on. Um, but they, they're one of their first scripts. They actually had Jessica rabbit being the villain, um, which I'm really happy they didn't because there's so much heavy, uh, implication there that she's got something to do with it. Um, I thought it made it a better movie that she ends up not having anything to do with it. Um, yeah. it was, it's kind of nice to, even though their cartoon care is really kind of nice to see like, okay, these people, she's not cheating on them. She's not doing anything bad. She's not doing these things that she wants to do. Or, like These aren't things that she wants to do. Right. Like these two characters mm-hmm. are in, in love. Right. And she you don't does see just that. love the little bunny rabbit. Right. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny because they look like everybody loves Roger White, you know, <laughs> like Betty Boop's scene in it was pretty awesome as well like who wouldn't you know be in love with roger or whatever i can't remember what she says but it's just it's great it's funny right because he's totally this dorky you know cartoon character but you know everybody loves him and then um another version had baby herman as the villain which would have been interesting (laughs) you know um and i could see that happening but also i really liked the idea of like they they portrayed him and Roger having this great friendship, even though that opening cartoon, you know, they're not mad at each other or anything, or they don't have any like contention, but baby Herman is obviously like this grumpy old, you know, man, baby. Baby. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you could totally see that happening. Um, But they eventually finalized decision on creating a new character, which I think the movie is better for. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And um, they originally, uh, we're supposed to have um, Doom was supposed to have an animated vulture sit on his shoulder throughout the entire movie, which I thought was kind of oh. funny, right? But I think that would have been too heavy-handed. So I'm kind of they eventually like took it out because um, they said it was too technically challenging um, to do. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be honest with you, there's some amazing special effects in this movie. Like they did some really amazing things. Um, and I just, I don't know how that would have been the one that was too technically challenging, <laughs> but <laughs> so be it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One flat and a human being with a steamroller and then we'll make him become a blow up cartoon. But right? yeah, the culture's <laughs> too much guys. Yeah. There's so many things. And, and honestly, there's, there's really only like, I think two flaws to me in this movie, as far as the special effects, um, which 
we're towards the, we're in the third act and I just, it's so forgivable because the rest of what they did was really quite amazing. Um, the first one was, uh, him with his gun, uh, when he pulls out the cartoon gun. Um, and later on in the next scene, it's obvious he's holding a plastic gun. Right. Yeah. And that was like the one that sort of stood out with me. And I remember seeing that when I originally saw the movie back in the day where it just kind of stood out with me, but they even tried to enhance it and put like a cartoon shine on it, but it just didn't, it didn't work. I, they should have just animated it honestly. Um, for whatever reason, I thought that was a clever idea to have a, you know, an actual prop gun that he holds. And maybe that was the case every time you see the gun. But, um, yeah, I just, as soon as they cut to the next scene and you see the plastic gun, it sort of pulls you out a little bit. Um, Cause it's pretty obvious. And then the second uh, issue that I noticed was um, at the very, the end where they break through that car breaks through the bricks. And then you see um, tune land in the background. There's a few shots where the compositing isn't great um, where you see like a kind of a heavy outline along the bricks and then the tune towns composite in the background. There's like a close up shot of Eddie Valiant um, where you can, it really kind of takes you out. And then there's like this crane shot at the very end, the last shot that you see of Toontown in the background. It's just not matching well with the crane movement. Um, but I mean, Jesus, those, those are so forgivable with all the other amazing stuff that they did, you know? And, and there's some, there's some great little spots in there. Like he moves a picture you know, and like you see the dust trail and just, just random other things, you know, the whole sequence of him shoving him into the sink, you know, just, just so many great things. Yeah. What was your favorite? What was your favorite, like sort of technical aspect of that? In the car. Hmm. Which version? In the, in the car when they were, when they were in the getaway car, when he'd, um, he'd been in the bar and he was trying to find the rabbit. And then they ran outside and then they, they went in that car and there was somebody banging in the back and it turned out to be a bloody angry car. Oh, 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 right, right. And then yeah, they went yeah. on a little adventure with this bloody car. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah I, there's so many that I just, I, I enjoy in the film. I just thought it was great. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I could pick one really. I think, I think probably it's, it's got to be a, some sort of sequence with uh, Christopher Lloyd's character in it. Um, I don't know. There's just so many great things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many so many little pieces in there that were just like kind of little little treats. I can imagine how complicated it would be to, to create this movie, <laughs> you know, and get it all right. And then on top of that, I was reading about the animation process. They didn't, not only did they do like their traditional uh, 2D cell animation, you know, hand drawn and uh, the high quality, you know, every frame sort of animated sequences, but they um, also would need to match the lighting of the live action stuff. So oh, they wow. developed a, yeah, they developed this process where they would create um, two additional sets of animations which would add shadows and then also reflections. Um, and then those were composited on top of each other and then composited onto the character animation, which was then composited into 
the live action stuff. Um, and then not, obviously not to mention the live action gags that the characters would interact with. Um, such as like when he moves a picture or sits on a chair or breaks the dishes in the bar, you know, things like that. All that stuff is all like live action, you know, manipulation that the animation has to coexist with and, and make sense. And then, um, yeah, I just, I, it's such a, I don't know, technological achievement. I think it's just crazy to think about how, how difficult it must have been to for all that stuff to line up, which I guess kind of plays into the idea of like the the movie was originally Asimekis originally uh, wanted it to be budgeted around fifty million, and Disney rejected it. They said it was just too expensive. They're not going to put that kind of money into an animated film. Um, but then they agreed to doing a thirty million dollar budget, and um, eventually as you know, things tend to happen on films uh, that ballooned into what he originally wanted, which was 50 million. <laughs> <Which> kind of <laughs> makes you think, well, did he just sort of disregard it and do what he wanted anyways? But there were some heavy talks within Disney to to completely cancel the project once the project ballooned to like 40 million. So wow. it came close to them actually canning it. But um, the president of Disney talked, uh, you know, talked them out of uh, whoever was overseeing the particular project. Um, and just let it be because they really wanted to invigorate the animation department. Um, and it's a good thing they did because not only did that end up being a, an Academy Award winning film, but, um, you know, it did invigorate their animation. So that was. Yeah. You know, did what it said on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, there's a, there's actually a lot of things like the. Um, uh, the vulture that was supposed to be on his shoulders. There's, there's several things like that in this film that they ended up dropping, uh, either from technical reasons or uh, probably budget, I would think. Like there was a, a fun one that I read where Judge Doom would carry around a suitcase. And in his suitcase, there would be 12 small animated kangaroos. And this sounds wild and crazy, but it's kind of funny. Um, and the kangaroos would act as a jury. So whenever he would, I guess, um, you know, want to kill one of the characters with the dip, the kangaroos would pop out of the suitcase and they would each hold up a letter that would spell out, you are guilty. And if you count the number of letters and you are guilty, there's 12 of them and 12 juries you know, our 12 people in a jury kind of thing. So I thought that was kind of, kind of a fun little thing, but I guess it was just cut for budget. And I, I don't know about technical reasons because it doesn't seem very technical, but who knows what they had planned. Um, so we've got a vulture and the kangaroos out. Yeah. And then there was a scene that they did, um, which they actually shot and animated. And I think you might be able to find it on like the special edition, like Blu-ray. Um, but there was a scene where the uh, weasels, I guess, kidnap Valiant and they throw him into Toontown because they know he doesn't like Toontown, right? And they somehow get a pig head on him. <laughs> just, just crazy wild, right? So he's thrown into Toontown with like a, a burlap sack on his head and he pulls it off and he's got the head of a pig. 
<laughs> and oh, so he's like, wow. yeah, he's going like crazy and nuts because he, you know, he doesn't like animated characters and is trying to get this pig face off. And <laughs> anyway, his own face. Yeah. And I think that this scene comes before the scene where Jessica Rabbit shows up at his place. Um, because the scene, like when he gets thrown into Toontown, he like runs off and then he goes home and takes a shower. And I guess somehow the, the water gets rid of the pig head. And it's actually really, really cool special effect that they do because they show the pig head kind of fall into the bottom of the tub and goes down the drain. And it looks really cool. Um, it's kind of a, a scene that I don't think was terribly too long. They could have left in the movie, but apparently they cut it out for time um, or slowed down the oh. adjacent scenes to it. Um, but that's the reason why when Jessica shows up, he's getting out of the shower. Um, so there was a connection there, which I thought worked on its own, like without that scene, but, um, you know, it made sense as to why he's coming out of the shower, why they added that in there. He's not just there to be, uh, you know, sexy valiant, <laughs> you know? um, sexy pig head valiant. Right. <laughs> um, did you read about the original titles for the, for this movie? No. No. So it wasn't originally called um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which the book was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit, which is really close to the movie title. Right. But while they were developing it, they came up with a whole bunch of uh, titles for it, just like they came up with a whole bunch of different actors. Um, so I'm just going to go through the list real quick. And I don't think any of them work in compared to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think that's just perfect. So I'm glad they settled on that. But um in no, no particular order, um, these titles were Murder in Toontown, Toons, mm. Dead mm, Toons no. Don't Pay Bills, <laughs> <laughs> The Toontown Trial, Wow, Tr Trouble in Toontown. There's and, a lot of alliteration going on. <laughs> yeah. And Eddie Goes to Toontown. <laughs> Eddie Goes to that's because right. somebody said in the meeting there's too much alliteration and they went, Eddie goes to Toontown. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who Roger Rabbit is. <laughs> um, I think my favorite is Dead Tunes Don't Pay Bills because it reminds me of like uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, the yeah. Steve Martin movie. But um, Which I did bring up to you that we should watch that, but then I <laughs> started rewatching it and I'm like, oh man, this is a problematic movie. <laughs> I didn't really realize it. Um, but there's a lot of um, misogyny in that film, which I guess, I don't know. I saw it when I was a kid. So like, uh, it's, yeah, there's a lot of um, funny moments in there that probably would not go over well today, but I still think we should watch it. <laughs> I don't know if you're a fan of it or have ever seen it, but. Uh, I've never seen it. No, Steve Martin's great, but. Yeah, there's 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 a ton of misogyny in there. It's just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> they did that. They got away with that. <laughs> but you know, different time. Um, uh, did you? I don't know if anybody else is like stunned at like all the different companies that. I mean, I I, I assume everybody has seen this movie, and if you haven't, you just absolutely weren't interested in it, or you're too young. Um, and if you're either of those, you should check it out. It's a great film. Um, but. They're like one of the major achievements of this film isn't some filming technical achievement or, 
you know, acting or direction or any of that kind of stuff. Um, one of the major achievements of this movie was a behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, never in history have these characters been put into the same project. So not only did you have Disney, who's normally extremely um, coveted of their characters, you also had Warner Brothers. And I mean, all, all of these major cartoon companies um, that Amblin got to say yes, you know, to, to put their characters in. However, there were a couple stipulations and mainly just from the big boys, you know, like Warner Brothers and Disney. Warner mm. Brothers stipulated like, you, you know, our characters need to have the same amount of screen time as Disney's. Like you can't, okay. you can't say, you know, cause otherwise they're going to, they're feeling like that means that Disney characters are more important. Right. Okay. That's um, done, yeah. That makes sense. Right. And then there were other things such as they specifically wanted uh, Bugs Bunny, who was like their major character to be in the same scene with Mickey Mouse. Um, and I'm not, I guess that's just sort of a, a vanity thing as well, you know? Um, but again, they did that. Um, and then one of the more odd ones to me, which I don't know why either way that this happened, but, um, I think it was either the head of, um, Warner brothers specifically wanted a specific design of Daffy Duck. Apparently there's okay. two major designs of Daffy Duck, which I, I don't recall there being, you know, more than one Daffy Duck, but apparently there is. So, um, they originally used Zemeckis really used originally used the design, um, from Bob Clampett. Um, and Warner brothers demanded that they use a design from Chuck Jones. Um, so Zemeckis had separate artists go ahead and animate Daffy using Jones design to satisfy Warner brothers, but took his original scenes that he had animated in the Bob Clampett design and put it in the final film. <laughs> so, devil. Yeah. So Warner brothers was, I guess, extremely pissed off at him for that. Um, <gasps> but even to further that sort of strangeness, Warner brothers also designed this scene of um, these two characters in the film, which is the nightclub scene after Jessica scene or before Jessica scenes, you see um, Donald Duck and Daffy Duck. Uh, this like dueling oh, piano yeah, scene. And the piano. Right? Yeah. So um, they, they wanted, I guess them specifically to duel, but specifically nobody could win the duel. So they had to tie or something like that. Something crazy. <laughs> so, oh which is the God. reason why like all the nonsense ensues and then the hooks come out and pull them off camera. So it's like, there's some, there's some crazy pettiness with Warner brothers. So they, I think they felt very threatened by Disney's status. Um, you know, but I mean, I guess I understand it, but it's also pretty. It's know, a little bit juvenile. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, the best thing, the best animated characters were the little penguins from Mary Poppins that were serving people drinks with rocks in. 
<laughs> yeah, I I mean that that was like a fun, being honest. It was a fun touch. Yeah. It really was. Um now there was there were of all the characters and all the different companies that they got to contribute uh characters to, you know to this film, which all of these companies basically were just, you know, signing papers saying yes, you can use our characters and then had nothing else to do with it other than that particular Warner Brothers scene. Uh, with the dueling duck piano thing. Um, that was the only one that really had, um, you know, creative input. Um, of all those characters that showed up in this movie, there were several companies that said no, which I was really surprised about. Um, they tried to acquire the rights to Popeye and they said no. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. They said no to Tom and Jerry, which isn't that also Warner Brothers? I don't know. I thought Looney. Yeah, I think that's. I don't know. Um, Looney Little Tunes. Lou, yeah, Looney Tunes. Uh, yeah, it's Warner Brothers, right? Um, but I don't know. I think that's kind of odd. So I guess Tom and Jerry, you know, back in the day was one of the most successful cartoons. Um, so maybe they were just overly coveted by it, or I'm not really sure what the deal was. Um, and then Little Lulu, who I, is lesser known to me, I, I think I recall um, the character, but I can't. I don't know. I'm not really sure what what it comes from, um, and then Casper the Friendly Ghost they couldn't get, mm. and then uh, Terry Tunes, which um, probably the most notable character I think is Mighty Mouse. Um, uh, okay. I, they didn't specifically say who they were wanting to pull or if it was all the characters, but I just kind of assumed it was Mighty Mouse. Um, so I was kind of uh, I thought that was a little strange that they couldn't have all. I mean, if Disney's on board and Warner Brothers is on board, like. Why, why hold the rest of these back? I mean, that would kind of be like free advertising, especially when all these characters were sort of like, you know, by 1988, they're not doing well. Like, you know, these are like much, much older characters, right? But yeah, um, yeah. and they even had scenes that were designed for them. Like, there's this whole funeral scene um, that never was filmed, um, where you see a bunch of these characters that you know weren't in the rest of the movie. Um, but uh, you know. I guess that's just the way it goes. Um, but it, but yeah, like I was saying before, it's, it is the first and only time that you see uh, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny together, um, as well as Donald yeah. Duck and Daffy Duck together. Um, I guess officially, as they say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's so many cool characters in there um, that uh, you know it's just surprising me that some of these other ones couldn't couldn't be solidified. Um, yeah, here's what it is. Um, so, you know, I would assume that a live action animated film most likely geared towards adults, um, would be a hard sell in general, but it happened. Right. Um, and not only did it happen, ending up with like $50 million budget, um, you know, after all said and done, um, it grossed on its opening $11 million and wow. only like a fraction of the theaters that are like open today, like in, in 1,045 theaters, it grossed $11 million, which is huge, you know, for that time. Um, and it was ranked um, first place at the U S box office on opening weekend. It was also Buena Vista's biggest opening weekend ever. And if you don't know, wow. Buena Vista is a subsidiary of Disney's. It's sort of like, Disney doesn't want to open something under their own banner. They'll throw it to 
to Buena Vista or um, they've got a couple other ones that they release. And now it's like Miramax and I can't remember all the different titles. But um, so after all is said and done in the US, it pulled in a staggering 156 million, almost 157 million dollars in the United States and Canada on top of uh in the rest of the world it did another 173 million um for a total of uh 330 million uh it was also the 20th wow. highest grossing film of all time which is i mean that's nothing to laugh at right um it was nope. also the second highest grossing film of 1988 only behind rain man speaking of tom cruise right who I don't know if you know, but neither Tom Cruise nor Dustin Hoffman wanted to even make that movie. They hated shooting it and it ends up being a huge oh. successful film. Right. Um, wow. but that's the only film that beat it. And, and you also in the United Kingdom, Carly over near neck of the woods. Um, it was the biggest opening for Disney films in the UK. Wow. Um, it was universally acclaimed by critics and moviegoers. It currently still has a 97% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards and it won three of them. Um, and more recently, which I think we talked about this on our last episode, but maybe not. I can't remember. I'm a huge fan of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. You know, it's part of my childhood. And this new film that just came out uh, that Disney Plus did, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, was actually created as a somewhat sequel to Roger Rabbit. Um, it's reported that it's sort of a in spirit. Uh, I'm thinking more on the technical side because obviously there really aren't any characters connections or story connections, but they mm. sort of took the concept obviously of Roger Rabbit and they utilized, they did something really cool where they utilized basically every animation technique that you can think of, um, that have come out since Roger Rabbit and, and put it into this film, which is something that, um, filmmakers have been trying to do for a sequel or a prequel with Roger Rabbit for years. But Disney's always shot it down, either CGI is too expensive or this or that. And Zemeckis really wants to make it traditional animation, which they're not necessarily behind that either. I don't think anybody cares about Roger Rabbit anymore, blah, blah, blah. But um, uh, so for whatever reason, um, there's a, I, I, I'm guessing the filmmakers of the Chip and Dale film, um, you know, sort of look at this as sort of like, uh, a way to sort of continue that sort of feel of a film. Maybe, maybe it will lead to another Roger Rabbit film. Who knows? Because there is supposedly, um, after many years, even like right after this film was made, uh, they immediately started working on a, a sequel. Um, and Spielberg actually was involved with it. And the initial, um, script was going to be written by JJ Abrams very early on oh, in his wow. career, right? This is, we're talking like 1989. Um, and Zemeckis was uh, going to produce. So I'm assuming maybe Abrams might even have been going to direct. I'm not sure. But um, ultimately, I guess Spielberg didn't like the outline or whatever it might have been. Um, 
Then there was uh, Nat Molden, who was hired to write a prequel, and it was titled The Toon Platoon. <laughs> God, was, they're not good with titles, are they? No, no. And this was a prequel, and it was set in 41-43, which is during World War II, which being a Spielberg you know, produced movie, obviously it's going to have to involve Nazis, right? Um, yeah, so it's like saving Private Ryan with Daffy Duck. Right. I'm just, I mean, honestly, I, I get it. You're Jewish and like the whole Nazi, like it's important to you. But I mean, I feel like, I hope he's gotten it out of his system by now. Right. I mean, I can appreciate everything that he's done with it, but it's like, I don't think the world needs more Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm good with no more Nazi storylines. Um, even in the uh, Indiana Jones like realm, like let's do something different, you know? But, uh, you know, if he's got something to say, he's got something to say. I get it. So anyways, uh, Spielberg ended up backing out of the project altogether because he was doing, um, um, what's it called? Schindler's List. And he didn't feel like he can make this movie uh, satirizing uh, Nazis after doing Schindler's List, um, which, OK, I mean, I understand that. Um, but he does so much in the Nazi realm. I, I mean, it's probably a good thing that he didn't do it anyway. Um, but the overarching storyline was going to be about how Roger met Jessica um, oh. and ends up in Hollywood and how he's trying to find his birth parents. And right. I don't know why they decided this, I guess, because they're rabbits. But <laughs> eventually we find out. Uh, Bugs Bunny is his father, which I think is just silly. <laughs> yeah, that's no. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that was that was what it was. And then the sort of B story was um, Roger and his human companion end up enlisting in the military and fighting Nazis and how he meets Jessica as Jessica gets kidnapped by the Nazis and is forced to do uh, like radio propaganda for them and they end up saving her and it's just this, I don't know, it's kind of crazy to me, but, um, yeah, anyway, Spielberg ended up leaving and that one ended up tanking. So then in 97, Disney ends up commissioning another potential script, uh, with Sherry Stoner and Deanna Oliver, um, which who are, I believe are both involved in Animaniacs, um, which is also connected to Amblin or Spielberg, right? Um, and they kept parts of the, um, uh, I don't know what, what the hell was the name of that one, Toon Platoon. <laughs> they kept elements of him yeah. trying to find yeah. his mother, um, but took out the World War II stuff um, and then made it some sort of like Broadway, Hollywood, rise to stardom sort of like um, story. And this one got so far along the lines that they even hired Alan Menken to to write songs for the movie and they produced them and recorded them. Um, but ultimately, um, when they did test results of the animation, Disney just did not like it and they were doing CGI animation. So they just weren't, weren't really thrilled about the quality of it. So they tried to do a second test of it. Um, and, uh, they just, you know, they just dropped the film project altogether. 
They felt it was too expensive. I don't think this is the type of film that needs a sequel or a prequel. No, I, you know, I I don't. It's just nice for what it is. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I I kind of agree with you. Like, I'm I'm the type of person that's like, if I like characters and a story, I'm all for sequels or prequels. Like, I, it doesn't matter to me, and even if they're bad, like I still like living in that world for a time. You know, even like the last Indiana Jones people, people didn't like it. Like, I don't care. You know, I get to see Indiana Jones again. Like, I'm I'm all for it. Like, I don't mind. You know, I think the worst one for me was really the Alien. Uh, you know, Prometheus and stuff like that. Like those were just, in my opinion, just weren't, weren't great movies, but whatever. That's just my opinion. So I'm, I'm all for it, Carly. I just don't know that. I I agree with you. It doesn't definitely doesn't need one. I mean, it was a very self-contained movie that had a great, you know, ending to it. Like it all makes sense. It was very well packaged. Right. So I totally agree with you on that, but you know, Hollywood, money success and then also you know you got you know these heavy hitters like you know zemeckis and spielberg who you know are storytellers and they want to tell stories so it, you know you could totally see it happening but whatever uh disney killed it because cgi which i'm glad you know happy for because i really don't want to see this film as a cgi movie um and supposedly it's because they you know saw the budget ballooning to like a hundred million dollars or something so they canceled it however and preceding years, um, uh, you know, as far back as 2007, uh, Frank Marshall and Zemeckis both said they were both interested in making a sequel, and um, they actually started development. Um, it took them a few years, but by 2010, supposedly a script had been developed and also new animation techniques. Um, but again, Disney wasn't happy with the CGI elements, uh, so they did more um, tests on it and decided that 2D hand-drawn characters uh, with some additional CGI lighting and prop enhancements was um, how they were going to move forward on it. So again, they ended up, um, you know, pushing forward into the sequel territory. Um, but unfortunately it, it didn't move much farther past that. Um, Bob Hoskins even uh, was reported as saying he was interested in reprising uh, his role as uh, as Valiant. Um, however, just shortly after him saying that he was ended up uh, being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, and after, um, you know, after that he retired from acting and, um, sadly enough, only two years later, he passed away of pneumonia. Um, so that's, you know, unfortunately, uh, the way that all worked, and that might've put a damper on just making a, a sequel or a prequel all altogether. However, a few years later in 2013, the original writer of the book, uh, Gary Wolf um, was commissioned to write a prequel. Um, and this time he was writing a script based off of the 1952 film, The Stooges. And it was uh, would also take place about five years before Who Framed Roger Rabbit took place. So effectively, um, you know, Eddie Valiant wouldn't be in the picture anyway with that one. That one didn't make it very far. And then later in 2016, Zemeckis again stated that they have a finalized script um, and it takes Roger and Jessica out of the forties noir and into the fifties lifestyle. And he said it would, it would feature a digital version of Bob Hoskins character, Eddie Valiant as his ghost, Um, which I thought we know was kind of cool. I'd be for that. I don't, I don't mind that kind of thing. I didn't mind it in the new Ghostbusters movie. So I'm, I'm good with that. 
and a lot of people don't like that sort of thing, but um, I think it would be cool. Um, and then he said uh, that the script is really great, um, but unfortunately he thinks that there's a slim chance that Disney would greenlight it as they have very little interest in Roger and even less interest in Jessica Rabbit and in fact hate her. I'm assuming because the sexual Gosh. overtones and that kind of thing, but you know, Disney's done a lot of, you know, stuff to sort of progress past that stuff. So I think that I personally think that that is a possibility. Um, a couple of years later in 2018, Zemeckis uh, spoke again about it, uh, again, praising the script um, and that he still doesn't see Disney making it, even though Disney plus was just coming out. He says that they just don't, he just doesn't think that they would be interested in making the movie because it doesn't have any princesses in the film. Um, so who knows? Will we ever see a new Roger Rabbit film? I think it's possible. I think that the, uh, it's, I mean, as highly rated as it is and as big of a fan base there is and as unique as the characters are, because sometimes you get movies like this where the characters are just sort of like knockoffs. And for all intents and purposes, these characters definitely should have been knockoffs. Like, like they should have been very generic, but they weren't. They, in their own right, created some very fresh new characters for this film. Um, and I think that they did a brilliant job for that. So I don't see any reason why they couldn't continue utilizing these characters in new stories. But as you did stay Carly, um, yeah, it's not the type of movie that really needs one. So who knows what the future holds? Yeah. So I guess, uh, I've talked your ear off Carly. Um, maybe we should rate the movie unless you've got something else to say. I want to rate the movie because you're going to be surprised. <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> I think Carly's going to give it a two, maybe a three. Yeah, that, you will yeah. be surprised. I don't know. Is it a one? Give it a five. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Do you really? Yeah. Because I didn't write any notes. It's the only film that I've watched where I haven't written any notes because I was having fun watching it. Oh, I thought it was because you were lazy. Uh, that's, but on this occasion, I wasn't being lazy. I was being entertained. You just had a Budweiser in each hand. You couldn't write. Yay. Don't tell everyone. Um, wow. Okay. Well, give me the rundown. Yeah. Let me know. I want to hear your side yeah. of it. Well, I, I just, I really liked it. I think because I thought it was going to be a little bit shit, if I'm being honest. I thought it was going to be, oh, here we go. What a load of crap. And I was really surprised from from the minute, because as soon as that first sequence comes on with the baby and Roger Rabbit, I thought, oh, Christ, what am I watching? I, was I have a feeling everybody that, that saw it originally in the theater like felt the same way. Honestly, I was properly involved in whether that baby was going to fall off the fridge. <laughs> and then when the baby turned out to be a grown man that was angry <laughs> with a cigar, it just made me really laugh. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> And I think that's the main bit. It just made me laugh. Yeah. Well, pretty much all the way through. <laughs> yeah. I can give you stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roger Rabbit can't can't make the stars when the refrigerator falls on him. <laughs> so oh, funny. I know. And then at the end, when he does make the stars, yeah. and he's like, you're in the middle of a situation here, love. Forget the stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, it was definitely a surprise with the baby Herman character. Wow, that's definitely. Funny. Oh, did you? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting your rating, but did you ever come across like the sort of like um, 
controversial lore of the film. Particularly that there's a there's two particular scenes where there's some controversy, right? Where supposedly the animators were having you know some hidden fun. So okay. uh, that scene right there where it breaks from uh, that animated cartoon at the beginning and then baby Herman getting pissed off and walking off stage and he mm. walks underneath the woman's dress. So, oh, okay. so supposedly it he's like, weird. yeah, well, supposedly, and I didn't go back to check it, but supposedly, uh, when this came out on Laserdisc for the first time, um, for home media, um, people had the option of doing slow motion and pausing at a high quality, mm. right? So you can see what's going on. So people were apparently seeing him flipping off the woman, sticking his middle finger oh. up, and then he goes under her dress. <laughs> and when he comes out the other side, he's got like drool coming down of his face. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't go back to check it, but... Um, no, I'm not doing that either. <laughs> and then there's sort of a basic instinct scene with uh, Jessica Rabbit, where uh, oh. when her and Eddie Valiant are driving in the cab um, into Toontown and they hit the light pole and they fly out of the car. Apparently, if you slow it down, you can see where the. <laughs> Again, I didn't really go back and check it. But you can see where her, <laughs> I don't even like saying it. Uh, it's the whole basic hey. instinct scene where her, la- her legs come apart or whatever and her dress is like up and you can see what's going on hey. in there, right? Which is like, Ugh. which I'm like, uh, there's plenty of like Disney like things like that that have been reported over the years. And again, I don't know if any of them are true, but it goes back to like the whole Wizard of Oz, you know, stuff and the, munchkin killing himself and hanging in the background and things like that where it's just like there just seems to be i I wonder is it is it lore is it is it really there is it people just seeing things kind of thing um who knows but that that's a major controversy that came out with the film once it hit laser disc and people could freeze frame it but um i'm sure it's out there so if you folks want to check it out um maybe youtube or something uh or anybody can break out a laser disc player <laughs> find a copy but uh, that's yeah. what, what you fancy slow motion <laughs> um vigilantism for, for cartoons i mean yeah i mean yeah it's <laughs> it would be funny though to know about the baby herman one because i think it's hilarious it's crude and stuff but it's funny as hell <laughs> like it it's that perfect kind of setup for him because you know later on when you see him smacking the I don't know what you call her, his babysitter. <laughs> oh, it's just silly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to you and your rating of the movie. So you you enjoyed it more than you thought you would. You thought it was going to be terrible. Yep. <laughs> I did. That's why it was like Space Jam. Oh, God. Yeah. But no, I really, I really liked it. Yep. I really did. Carly's 10 out of 10, gents. I, I also give it 10 out of 10. Um, I think that just the technical quality of the film is amazing. I think that most of the special effects were just top notch. Um, there's very few uh, cracks in in the special effects of this film. Um, yeah. The the acting of everybody all around, from the voice acting to the classic character portrayals to um, 
you know, just, just everything, just Bob Hoskins, uh, ability to deliver realism with his interactions with the characters, you know, and his ability yeah. to take that sort of down and out character, but, you know, also it was like, there was charming. really somebody there. Yeah. 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 But he's just so charming in the movie, you know, as well. And, um, Christopher Lloyd, his portrayal is just fantastic. I, I, it's one of the characters I wish was in the movie more. Like you see a lot of these cameo characters just kind of show up and go away, you know, Dumbo, whatever. Obviously as our villain, he was great. I just, I wish he was in it more. I, I don't, I don't have any bad things to say about this movie. Like, I think most people might think it's childish or for kids or whatever. It's certainly not, in my opinion. It's a well-made, well-told story. It has a great script. It's got great characters, very unique uh, lead characters um, that are homages to other things, you know, without being uh, too similar, you know. Um, I really enjoyed the idea of the noir aspects of it where we've got the femme fatale, but it's not necessarily connected to our detective. We've got the down and out detective, but it's not because he's heartbroken over a woman. It's his brother died. And like, he's, you know, it's, it's, they, they spun it enough that it kept it feeling fresh. And I really liked the idea of him having this love interest, but nothing's happening because of this, connection that he's had with his brother and losing him and he you know he's sort of disassociating um and it reminded me a bit of like the travis mcgee books um but i don't know if you've heard of those but um there's there's just a lot to love about the movie i think and i think that um it you know i think most people would enjoy it you know for what it is and unlike you carly i'm i fully would love to see a sequel a prequel Oh, anything really, honestly. Um, I think it'd be great oh, to wow. see Bob Hoskin reprise his role, even though he's passed away. I think that'd be so cool and fun because I, even though he's been in a ton of stuff, I think this is probably one of the ones that people are going to remember him more for. Um, you know, I mean, it'll be on that list anyways, you know, uh, certainly, you know, unfortunately Mario brothers might also be on that list, but for not, good reasons <laughs> but you know yeah, don't, don't knock it till you tried it uh, yeah i mean he's in he's in a lot of great films you know but this this i think from many different standpoints like puts it kind of at the top of the list in my opinion um so anyways yeah i'd also give it a 10 out of 10 it's our first uh, animated uh episode <laughs> maybe this would be a good Bye. time to break out the animation thing that we did <laughs> <laughs> Put Bob Hoskins' face on yours and put body ears on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah, we can do that. We can try. When <laughs> <laughs> we say we, we mean you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Um, that's it for us today. We hope you enjoy, uh, well, listening to me ramble. Uh, Carly didn't get a word in on this one, I don't think. Um, but we hope you enjoy watching the film or at least reminiscing about it if you've already seen it. And uh, check out one of those three drinks. Um, I think the dip sounds interesting, and I hope you guys uh, you guys try it out. And uh, until next time. Bye-bye. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, 
Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.